What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other 50% of the podcast. Kyle, what a week 14. Interesting to say the least. Would you agree? Absolutely. My boy Tom Brady was an honorary patriot today for getting that dub against the Buffalo Bills, helping my team out. Tom, we just, just know. We know you play for Tampa, but we appreciate you coming up big for us, giving us another little edge over Buffalo in the division. So even though that the Patriots didn't play this weekend, we still won, Kevin. And I'm just so happy about it. And I I know it probably makes you feel that some type of way about that, but I'm so happy about it right now. Hey, the Colts needed it. The Colts needed it too. We were off this week. I'm not complaining. The Colts went from outside to the sixth seed today because of how many teams lost. So thank you, Tom, to a certain extent, but I ain't going to call him no fucking Patriot shit. But with that said, you ready to dive into some of these topics? Yes, sir. All right, let's get to it. So uh, first things first, we are going to go with probably one of the best games that we saw this week. I know I just made a quick mention of it, but we're going to talk about the Buccaneers squeaking past the Buffalo Bills in one of the more tightly contested matchups in week 14. Uh, Tampa Bay gets an overtime winner over Buffalo. Tampa improves to 10 and three on the season. Buffalo falls back to seven and six. We're mostly going to talk about Buffalo in that segment. And I think a legitimate question has to be raised on whether or not that that team is a playoff worthy team at this current moment in time. After that, we're going to talk about the Kansas city chiefs absolutely annihilating the Las Vegas Raiders by damn near 40 points in week 14. We're going to talk about both teams. We're going to start with the Raiders first because of how Bad they played in that matchup against KC, and then we'll, we'll finish off that game talking about KC and whether or not that they are the scariest team in the NFL at this current moment in time. After that, we're going to talk about San Fran versus Cincinnati, another overtime thriller. Cincinnati was able to force that game into overtime late in the fourth quarter, but San Fran was able to march down the field in overtime after a Cincinnati field goal to give them the twenty-six to twenty-three win. We're going to talk about San Fran for the most part. We're going to talk about whether or not that Kevin and I think that they are a playoff-worthy team. They've won four of their last five, so I think that'll definitely be an interesting conversation once we get to that segment. After that, we're going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns game. Browns come out with a victory in a close one, and even despite Baltimore losing that game, I think probably the biggest takeaway from that game is the injury status of Lamar Jackson. He suffered a sprain ankle early on in that game. And really that's going to be the main focus of that segment for us. We're going to talk about just is Baltimore in panic mode, knowing that they've lost a couple games recently. They've lost two in a row and now their elite quarterback could be out with possibly an ankle injury moving forward. We'll talk more in depth about that situation towards the end of the episode. And then We're going to wrap it up with the Monday night matchup that is going to take place between the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. This is, without a doubt, the biggest matchup of Week 14. you got two NFC West teams going at it, and I think that'll definitely be a good conversation, just previewing that game and then predicting which team is going to win that one. Uh, We're not going to do any NBA topics today. This is going to be all NFL-related content today, so... Guys, get your seatbelts ready, fasten them up, and let's dive into it. So, first thing first, like I said, we're going to talk about the Buccaneers getting a close 
win in overtime against the Buffalo Bills. The Buccaneers beat the Bills by the score of 33-27. to With the win, the Bucs improved to 10-3 and on the season. And with the loss, Buffalo falls back to 7-6 on the season. Tampa got off to a really hot start in the first half. They were up 24-3 at one point, but Buffalo made a surgent comeback in the second half, forcing overtime. Yet Tom Brady was able to hit Prashad Perriman on a game-winning touchdown that gave Tampa the win. Let's focus on Buffalo here since they, they've been struggling, to say the least, the last month or so. So, Kevin, to pose this question to you, with Buffalo losing three out of their last four games, is it one to mention at this current moment in time? Do you think that they have a chance of missing the playoffs here? Oh, without a doubt. Well, first of all, let's let's just be frank here. Um, they have been playing like absolute shit the last couple of weeks. They we have said it multiple times on this podcast, personally to one another and to several people. Um, they don't look the same as they did last year. This is not the same Buffalo team. Personnel-wise, they may have a lot of returning people from the same team as last year, but whether it's the play calling, whether it's the mindset of Josh Allen, whether it's the fact that they have the inability to run the football consistently, I don't know what it is. This is not the Buffalo Bills that we saw last year compete for a potential AFC championship. I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, first and foremost, the defense got annihilated in that first half. The offense was incapable of moving the ball positively towards the opponent's side of the field. And then you go and you look at Josh Allen and his decision-making, the interception, for example, absolutely terrible. You being rushed or not, you were already out of the tackle box or out of the pocket. Throw it away, but you have this bad habit of trying to make plays with the strength of your arm, and you threw an interception right to Richard Sherman. The man has, what, when was the last time Richard Sherman played meaningful football? Like, God knows, a couple weeks ago before he got hurt with his hamstring? I, I don't know. Then you don't run the football basically the entire first half when the game was within reach at some point within the first quarter and some change. You have a total of 19 rushes, but 12 of them are from your quarterback. Josh Allen had 109 yards on the ground. He almost matched Leonard Fournette. He was short of Leonard Fournette's total of yards by four total yards with seven less carries. The starting quarterback almost outrushed the lead running back on the opposing team. Does that not scream an issue for you? Because Matt Breida and Devin Singletary together had seven touches. I don't understand this at all. I know that I mock Frank Reich as the Colts head coach for not being able to run the football, but man, something is going on in Buffalo to where they say, we just don't feel like it. We're just not going to, and we have no interest in doing it. So you'd rather run your franchise quarterback 12 times, and a couple of those hits that he took for those rushes were pretty big. For I mean, as big as Josh Allen is, you don't want your franchise getting cracked by Devin White and Levante David and Dominican Sue and the rest of that defensive front that the Dan Tampa Bay Buccaneers had. And yet this is the scenario that they were put in. Bad defense, terrible offense, and late game heroics, man. You can't wait until every single fourth quarter to make a comeback. I mean, literally, it was a tale of two halves mirrored. Buffalo scored three points in the second half, in the first half. Tampa scored three points in the second half. Tampa, in the first half, scored 24 points. Buffalo scored 24 points in the second half. Like, it was legit the tale of two opposite sides. It made absolutely no sense. Granted, it ended up going into overtime to where Tom had to throw the game-winning touchdown to Perriman, which was six points, and that was the game-winning deciding factor. But within the four quarters, 
it was legit. Zero and three, zero and three, seven and 17, seven and 17. Like you cannot do this to compete in the AFC. You cannot do this to compete in the playoffs. Buffalo is learning right now. They're in the shit and they're just not playing good football whatsoever. They cannot continue to do this if they plan on trying to make some kind of postseason run. And if I believe I've done the math correctly, they're going to have to win out with how competitive the AFC wildcard is now starting to become. I think at this point, I think they're definitely at risk of missing the playoffs. And I've always been on the mindset this year that Buffalo from top to bottom on this roster, I think they're one of the most well-rounded units throughout the entire NFL. But the main issue that I see primarily with the Bills is two things. Brian Dable, who is the offensive coordinator for the Bills, I think he's got to face some scrutiny for his play calling throughout this season. And you could even say last season to a certain extent as well. They just do not run the football effectively with their running backs whatsoever. They don't even really make an effort to do so. It's like you said, Kevin. With Josh Allen being the featured running factor for that team, it's going to leave the Bills in a situation where Josh Allen is going to take some unnecessary hits, and it could risk his his health moving forward in his career. And even despite the fact that the Bills don't run the ball consistently as a unit offensively, I thought against Baltimore, and that, excuse me, not Baltimore, against Tampa, excuse me, that they ran the ball extremely effectively with Devin Singletary when he got touches. There were multiple plays where Devin Singletary was getting at least 5 to 10 yards. He had actually, I think, one or two runs against Tampa where he was getting over 20 yards a carry. But they just don't do it consistently on that side of the ball. And I got to focus on Brian Dable in that regard because the offensive play calling is so one-sided with passing the ball. They're just a one-dimensional offense right now. And even though that they got to the AFC Championship last year because they relied on Josh Allen to carry that offense with his arm, Defenses are scheming against that this year, and they are not allowing Buffalo to take advantage of what Buffalo took advantage of last year, which took them all the way to the AFC Championship game. So I think the second factor that I have to look at with Buffalo is they just can't finish. These last two losses against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England Patriots, they had ample opportunities to win these games at the end. They had... This red zone drive at the end of the game to put them up over Tampa with about 30 seconds to go. They're, they're on Tampa's six-yard line, and they can't punch it in. They end up kicking a field goal. It leads to an overtime uh, period, and then Tampa wins on a uh, game winner from Tom. And then last week, similar situation. They had two red zone opportunities to score last week against New England. They come up with zero points and lose that game by four points. They're losing these games right at the end when they have ample opportunities to execute and win those games, and they just can't do that. So Brian Dable's offensive play calling, I think you have to start putting that into question. And just these late-game decision-making errors that the Bills are making on the offensive side of the ball, it's costing them wins, and it could cost them the playoffs if they keep it up like this. Dude, I, I'm literally just I'm looking at this box score. That's why you literally caught me like at a, at an awe. Just Josh Allen threw the ball 54 times, bro. Not gonna happen. 
Not going to happen. Granted, Tom threw it 46. So Tom's I'm not going to sit here. Yeah, but I was going to say. Too. Well, they were almost at the same clip in terms of completion percentage. Brady was 31 of 46. Allen was 36 of 54. So they were just apart by a couple yeah. of completions here and there. But, I, I, dude, first of all, no turnovers for Tampa Bay. So that, that that's one. No interceptions, no fumbles, at least from what I'm – right. Yeah, they, didn't no t- they, did, they didn't turn the ball over. Yeah, so – that's one. Buffalo's defense was incapable of forcing a turnover. And then second, you, you like I said before, man, you're not running the football. Your quarterback mm-hmm. had all your running yards. That's just that, – that's, that's not a, an efficient strategy. That's not how you win football I talked about this with KC a couple of weeks ago. But, man, I, I, Buffalo's run attack, it, it's just awful. It's absolutely awful. And like, why even have De- Devin Singletary and Zach Moss when he's healthy – even really be in the backfield. If you're not going to run the ball in any way, shape, or form, what's the point of even carrying those guys on the roster then? It's just... What confuses me the, more, how you going to play, how, how you going to run a play action? No one's going to bite. You're not running no. the ball. No, and Tampa's defense was playing all pass today. They they didn't care whether or not that Josh Allen could, could pull off five to 10 yards on a rush or Devin Singletary when he had a couple carries could do the same because they know primarily that the Bills are going to pass the ball, and that's it. And primarily, that's what they run. 75, 80% of their plays are passing plays. And the other 20% are Josh Allen running the football or Devin Singletary getting a couple carries. When Josh Allen is getting like 75% of the rushing carries for that team, no, no. I I, I, I find that unacceptable. I mean, honestly, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are just decoys. I you think can't even guys, use that word, bro. And I, no one's I, falling for it. I, I think at this point, I think Brian Dable is fa- failing his running backs. He's the offensive coordinator. You have got to get those guys ample opportunities. And Buffalo's offensive line, when given opportunities to run block, they're decent. But they just don't do it. And I think it just largely goes to the, to Brian Dable's offensive uh, playmaking system. It's just that they're so reliant on Josh. That's the problem. You know, we're going into, you know, we're in December. You got to have an effective running game, especially in some of these close games. And they just don't have that. But I think it's largely, in fact, due to play calling. And unfortunately, that's just how I see it with Buffalo. Their play calling is really holding this team back. Defensively, I think they're fine. It's just their offensive play calling. I think it's, just, it's atrocious and it needs to be called out for. But before we transition into our next segment, you think Tom locked up the MVP after that performance? I'm not going to say locked up. There is still uh, a couple of candidates out there. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor has to continue to carry the rest of the season out to see if a running back can go out there and do it. I mean, the man is at already 1,300 running yards, rushing yards, um, almost 20 touchdowns already for a running back, which hasn't been done in a little bit. So I would say he's still in the mix. And a couple of other quarterbacks, you know, like uh, obviously like Matthew Stafford still has – somewhat of a good season overall. I mean, if he kind of holds it together, Kyler Murray's still having a good year, even though he's missed some time. I mean, I don't think he'll get it because he missed about a month. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say sealed up. And next week, if Tom kind of locks it down and he throws for like, you know, three touchdowns, maybe 350, I'd probably say it's about a wrap then in there. But, you know, I would say there's still a couple of weeks for someone to really jump out. I think Tom at this point is probably the clear favorite going into like the last couple of weeks of the season. I mean, the guy just hit 
I want to say he he hit over four thousand yards passing in yeah. this game against Buffalo. I think he's actually the first quarterback this year that Buffalo has allowed a three hundred yard passer. So I guess you can kind of give that you know that and and let's not forget let's not forget Aaron Rodgers is still dicing it up. He's got three ten for three tuts right now. He's still doing his thing week in and week out. So he may have missed what two games. One with co- two two COVID games. I, he, or one? I, I think he had one. He only missed one. So he's still very much viable. Obviously, I, with it being an extended season, he'll technically play a full season worth of sixteen games. I I think the I think the factor that is missing from this equation is imagine if Derrick Henry didn't get hurt. I think with the way that Derrick Henry started off the season, the fact that the matter is he's missed six weeks and he's still the fourth leading rusher in the NFL. I find that absolutely mind-boggling that he was that good before he got hurt. I mean, the guy could have damn near gotten another 2,000-yard season. I mean, at that point, you would have to throw his name in the MVP had he stayed healthy. But it really just goes to show how dominant Derrick Henry has been, not only just this year before he got hurt, but really the last couple years. The, The dude has been an absolute beast. But if I had to kind of give it up to somebody right now, I think it would be Tom... I agree with you to a certain extent. I think Jonathan Taylor definitely deserves some shine in the MVP discussion. I think if Indianapolis makes the playoffs somehow, I think he's definitely got a worthy case because he has been by far their biggest factor offensively throughout, what, 13, 12, 13 games this season? 13, yeah, because we had the bye today, yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, if I had to go right now, I'd, I'd put Tom at the top of the pecking order, you know. I agree. And, I mean, and the guy just hit the 700 total touchdown mark in his career so i gotta you know i gotta get 700 touchdowns it's it's crazy and 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 the nfl's all-time leading completion record as well so hey still getting it done at 44 years old so he's the goat man that's it (laughs) yeah it's kind of funny because um i thought you'd see some sort of drop off but no there's been not i mean the guy's gonna lead the league in passing yards in touchdowns and completions this year when it's all said and done at 44 years old. You look at Big Ben. Big Ben could barely get it done at 40. Granted, he's yeah. still effective here and there in stretches, but Tom is just he's just cruising. He, he's cruising. Yeah, There's no he's other chilling. way to say it. So I got, I got to give Tom some credit. He's been playing absolutely phenomenal this year, and dude's getting it done. They're 10-3 and three for a reason, and Tom's a huge factor behind that with uh, Tampa's successes here. But with that said, we are going to transition into our next segment, and that is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs destroying the Las Vegas Raiders by the score of 48-9. to Casey has been on a really good stretch these last six weeks. They've won six straight games. They are at the top spot of the AFC West at this current moment in time, but we are going to focus on the Las Vegas Raiders. This is the second time that they've played KC this year. And in both games, they've allowed over 40 points from the Chiefs in each matchup. Kev, I got to pose this one to you. With the way that Las Vegas has lost these games to KC this year, just where do you look at Vegas at this current moment in time at this point in the season? Do you know what's crazy? I feel like the last two or three years, and I'm not trying to sound like a dickhead, but I, I, it's going to come across however it is, take it for what it is. Um, the Raiders always start off pretty hot the last couple of seasons. Derek Carr was in the MVP discussion for the first month and a half of the year. 
Um, Darren Waller, before he got hurt, best tight end in football, you know, and, and, and uh, obviously large competition with, with George Kittle. You know, John Gruden was finding a way to turn the, the organization around before the entire scandal happened. The defense was finding ways to get stops. They finally got a pass rusher. Secondary was creating turnovers. Josh Jacobs was healthy. Um, they got a good backup running back in Kenyon Drake. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were doing what they needed to do. They were first in the uh, AFC West for, for a couple of weeks. And then, dude, it just – everything kind of fell to shit. John Gruden gets fired. Darren Waller's been hurt. I mean, like, you name it. There have been nonstop issues with this team, both health and obviously offseason drama with uh, the Henry Rugg situation as well. So – I don't necessarily know what the hell to say other than they're just completely inept. Like they have just given up on the year. They can't do anything right at any capacity. And I just don't know what to really say because you just look at this team and you say that they're better than this record. I think that they have talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball as well with Ngakwe and Max Crosby and of course, John Abraham and a couple of other pieces that uh, fail to get shine. And you just look at it and you're like, they can do this, but they just can't execute. They're also the sloppiest team in the NFL in terms of penalties. They're the highest penalized defense in the league, consistently making mistakes. That's lack of discipline. Coaching, you've gone in and out between, obviously, your play caller and then, uh, you know, um, of course, I forget their interim head coach who's well-respected around the league, but it seemed like when he took over for, for Chucky, they were rallied behind him. It was They were supportive, but then they kind of went on this little skid, and it, they have not been able to rebound. They've been getting embarrassed week in and week out, and Hunter Renfro is their leading receiver this year, which is just insane to me when you have so much talent on this team. And, again, I'm not disrespecting Hunter because we all know that Hunter was a stud at Clemson, but for you to rely solely upon an undrafted wide receiver who was a walk-on at Clemson for all of your offense – I'm just looking at this box score, and I'm saying, bro, what the hell happened here? Like, literally, they had 12 total rushes for 44 yards. Granted, they went down early quick, so running the ball became completely not an option. But Josh Jacobs was their second leading receiver with 46 yards and five receptions. Hunter Renfro had 13 catches for 117 and a touchdown. He was targeted 14 times. That's absolutely ridiculous. Again, no shade to Hunter, but oh my God, Vegas is down bad. Vegas is not bouncing back. They're done. They've been blown out by what, Kyle? I think that they got scored 40 points last time they played the Chiefs. I think they've been blown out by almost maybe maybe 50, 60 points in the last two times they played the Chiefs. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. So, so, I mean, legit, if you have to find a positive here, there is none. I don't I have one. They missed a field goal too, so it's not like they went and did something productive on the special team side. So I don't know, man. They just gotta get their shit together. Either they break this team apart and they start from scratch in a full rebuild with a brand new coaching staff, or they get Derek Carr some help because Lord knows this man cannot keep doing this by himself forever. I'm gonna keep this relatively short. I think Vegas is done for this year. I think their playoff chances are over. And really, this, the second point that I want to hit is just that, bro, I think KC just lives rent-free in their head because when you look at these two matchups that the Raiders have had against the Chiefs, as a team, they've allowed 89 points against the Chiefs in the last two games. And if I remember the scores correctly, I think the Raiders have scored 23 points 
in both of those games combined. I mean, you're talking about, if I have my math right, a 66-point differential in two games against arguably the best rival that you have in your own division. It's over. There's no other way to say it. And when I look at Vegas, I, I agree with you. They had a great start to the season. They definitely had a noteworthy start. But just the off-the-field issues just... I think they I think they just collapsed from all of these external factors. John Gruden gets fired because of the email scandal. You have Henry Ruggs get into the situation where he kills somebody going 156 miles an hour while driving intoxicated. You have the Damon Arnett situation where he went on Instagram Live and was posting guns talking about killing people or at least threatening people. And then I just don't know how you're able to overcome all of that and try to find some sort of way to get into the playoffs. I think this team has really gone through the ringer this year, which is all the off-field distractions, and then you combine that with the play of the defense. Like you mentioned, they're the most penalized defense in the league. They just lack discipline in that element of their team. And just the amount of injuries that the Raiders have sustained on the offensive side of the ball. Josh Jacobs has been in and out of the lineup throughout most of the season so far. Kenyon Drake broke his ankle last week. He's out for the rest of the year. Then you had Darren Waller out in this game against Casey. You just have all of these factors just coalescing at the same time for the Raiders, and it's just ending in a terrible way for them. I don't really see how they can respond to this. I mean, Casey has their number. I don't see the Raiders really being a focal team to look at moving forward for the rest of the year in the AFC. I just think there are, I think there are too many teams that are clearly better than them. And I think the Raiders are just going to have to take this year on the chin just because all the off-field distractions I think got to them and then the injuries. You combine those two factors together, that's why the Raiders are sitting in the position that they are. And I think they're going to be looking on the outside in uh, when the season comes to an end. I just don't think that this team is playoff caliber and I don't think that they're going to be worthy enough to make the playoffs. That's just how I see it. Yeah, there's a lot of untapped potential on this roster that I feel like will never actually reach that boiling point to where they see success. And it's very sad because we really thought that Chucky was finding a way to turn it around after trading away Khalil Mack and all of his, you know, questionable draft picks that ended up coming into, you know, coming into their own. And it is what it is when it comes mm-hmm. to off the field issues. Everybody has to go through it at some point. But of course, losing your head coach in the manner that they did, obviously the media attention that the Rugs incident brought to the, the organization, it just didn't bode well for them as a unit. And they struggled ever since all of those things kind of culminated into an unfortunate kind of, you know, turnaround for the year because they were poised to really take this division and run with it when Kansas City started off bad. And their offense was moving very efficiently. Obviously, like I said before, Derek Carr being in the MVP discussion and then potentially leading it was insane. Nobody in the world thought that that was going to happen. And, you know, like you said, injuries kind of mounted up and you you pile that all together and it's an unsuccessful season right then and there. Yeah. And to flip it to KC, Kansas City has been on an incredible stretch the last six weeks. They're on a six-game winning streak. They are first place in the AFC West with a nine and four record. And Kevin, I got to ask you straight up. Are they the scariest team in the NFL at this current moment in time? 1,030 fucking percent. There's not a chance that anybody in the world is going to be able to come into Arrowhead right now, the way that this defense is locking down 
and the way that this offense is finding a way to click. They're doing it, running the ball. Edwards Hilaire had two touchdowns. Williams had a touchdown today. Uh, you know, Gore almost had a touchdown. Williams almost had two, actually. I'm very upset because I have Williams in fantasy. He was like an ass hair away from a second touchdown, but he didn't stretch the ball over the plane. That seemed to hear nor there. But um, when you have a defense that's playing as dominant as Kansas City is, and you're consistently getting your offensive playmaker in Patrick Mahomes the ball religiously, um, pretty much in, in, in split seconds of an instance because this defense is not letting anybody score. So they're running the score up every opportunity that they can because they're just abusing defenses because those defenses are on the field 10 times longer than the offense. You're going to win football games. It's a formula for success in the NFL. Dominant defense, give your playmakers on offense the ball, score the touchdown, and get the other defense worn down by running the football late in the second half. It's legit that simple. A, B, C equals a win. And the Chiefs are doing it tenfold. I would say that the Patriots are like right there. And the only reason I give the edge is because Patrick Mahomes is better, obviously, than Mac Jones. Two different teams, two different play styles, two different coaching styles, but very similar in terms of defensive dominance and getting it done on the offensive end where it matters. Mac Mac might not be able to do what Pat does because they're just two different quarterbacks as a whole. They're two different offensive players, but he does enough for them to win and puts the Patriots in positions to where they put the, he puts the Patriots in a position to win. And then Patrick Mahomes, obviously is Patrick Mahomes. You give him the ball with the lead or even when he's behind, he can make things happen magically with that arm. But when he doesn't have to rely on playing catch-up, I feel like he plays a lot more free-spirited. He's a lot less worried and a lot less panicked. And then the running game can kind of go in, and, of course, that pulls into the play action. The Kansas City Chiefs are definitely probably the most scariest team, not only in the AFC. I'm going to make that leap and say in the NFL. I know Arizona and Tampa Bay already have 10 wins, but from what uh, Kansas City started to where they are now to where the defense started to where it is now, Two totally different teams. You could literally make the argument that they're not the same, and yet it's the same personnel that it was six, seven weeks ago when we were having the discussion that they might not even make the playoffs. The Chiefs are the real deal, and they're back. Kevin, you remember when I said yeah, they, yeah, they were going 12-5 yeah. and five or 11-6, and yeah, six and you yeah, thought I yeah. was wild? I, I, you thought I was out of pocket? I mean, they're living up to what I was claiming a couple months ago, but it's really been the defense that has been the standout element for this team. I know we focus a lot of time and effort on Patrick Mahomes and just the dynamic playmaking that he brings to Casey's offense, but this defense has been absolutely phenomenal in this six-game winning streak. They're getting to the point where they're damn near giving up single-digit points allowed in this winning streak defensively. That's absolutely insane just because – Traditionally speaking, since Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback for the Chiefs, this defense has been inept or subpar, to say the least. It's really been Patrick Mahomes carrying KC throughout their stretch so far in his first couple seasons, but it's the opposite this year because KC's offense has really struggled in multiple games this season, but it's been their defense that's been able to lock down and keep KC from losing these games. So when I look at KC this year, you could probably say that this is the most well-rounded unit that they've had since Patrick Mahomes got drafted. I, I I understand that the offense was explosive the last couple of years before this season, but this is a much more cohesive unit because the defense has been playing outstanding. The offense has been playing outstanding in spurts, but I still believe they're one of the top offenses in the league. 
and they're winning games because of that combined effort from the offense and the defense. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself and take a lot of stock in this win that they had against the Raiders because the Raiders are not that good of a football team, and I just think that Casey has their number. But when they go up against top-tier talent, Casey has struggled mightily. But even so, they are winning these games despite winning by a tight margin. When it gets to the playoffs, that's where I'm going to look at it a little bit differently because they will be going up against better talent. And who knows? That's going to be the real test for KC You know, in, in this next month or so. When they get into the playoffs, it's whether or not they're going to be able to rise above the occasion and look like the KC of old when the moment matters the most. And as of right now, I will agree with you that they are the scariest team in the NFL. I think it's really between them and probably New England. New England's won seven straight games. They're a team that I can't overlook. But Casey having Patrick Mahomes, I think he's the difference maker in that equation when you're comparing scary teams with both New England and KC. It's just, I just think that Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback on the field. But I can't deny the genius coaching of Bill Belichick just because his ability to game plan week in and week out is unparalleled in not only just in modern day NFL, but really throughout the entire course of NFL history. So really, this is like a situation where it's like 1A, 1B when it comes to scary teams. I'll say KC right now. But the Patriots are right there as far as scary teams in the NFL goes. But Casey's been on a hot streak the last month and a half. I got to give them credit for that. And look, another Super Bowl run is definitely possible with this team. But the main test is going to come in the playoffs when they go up against better teams. If they can play top flight football against better teams in the playoffs, yeah, then I'll take them seriously as far as like their Super Bowl aspirations go. But as of right now, I think they're definitely worthy of saying that they are the scariest team in the NFL right now. Yeah, it's uh, definitely going to be a good postseason the way that it's turning out. A lot of good teams are kind of like bubbling and and showing, you know, to the top. They're coming to the top and they're, you know, I'm excited to see what's going to end up panning out. Yeah, and I mean, but I will say, KC has a hell of a test coming up this week against the Los Angeles Chargers. That is probably their biggest game of the year. It's a divisional matchup. The Chargers beat them in Arrowhead the first time this season, which I think was a shock to many, including, I would like to say, you and me. I think that was a result that I was not expecting earlier in the season. Definitely not. This is where all the marbles are for both teams because the Chargers can not only tie KC, in the AFC West this Thursday, but they would actually take the lead because they would own the tiebreaker over Kansas city because of, because of those two divisional wins. So that is going to be an absolutely insane matchup on Thursday night. And I know we'll definitely talk about that later this week, but yeah, Casey's legit, bro. That defense is legit. I don't know if I would say that they're the best defense in the NFL, but you can yeah, make an argument. One two or one A one B because it's it's you guys and and it's, the Bills and this excuse me and the and the Chiefs in this win streak. I, I, I mean, it's the Patriots, the Bills, and probably the Chiefs right now. 
I know, like, Dude, I'm not even looking at the Bills right now. But defensively, that unit is still strong. It's just that the team overall is not winning. It's just. Oh, wow. I, That's I, actually I, funny. Why? What's up? The Chiefs outscored the Raiders 89 to 23 this season. We were literally just talking about what the difference was, which is crazy. That just populated right now. Yeah, because I, I did the math in my head when I was doing the uh, doing the analysis part. I was like, well, I think Casey scored 41 in the first matchup. Then they scored 48 in this one. Bro, how, how are you Vegas? And you give up almost 50 points after facing this team once already. You think you would have made some sort of adjustment. I know that the Vegas was facing injury issues, but it's like, dude, come on. 48 points? It was 35 to 3 at halftime. 35 to Crazy. 3. Man, Vegas, you got to get your shit together, bro. Down bad, bro. Down, down bad. Real bad, bro. But with that said, we are going to transition into our next game of discussion, and that is going to be the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals game. An overtime thriller. And this was a game that, if I remember correctly, Cincinnati was down for the most part in the game, but they were able to mount a pretty solid late second half comeback to get the game in the overtime. They actually took the lead in overtime on scoring a field goal in the first position of overtime, but San Fran was able to move down the field effectively, and they ended up scoring the game-winning touchdown late in the overtime quarter to get San Fran the win. So, Kevin, to pose the question to you, San Fran has now won four out of their last five games, and I have to ask you, is San Francisco a legitimate playoff-worthy team at this current moment in time? say so i think that they're playing very well in the offensive end obviously jimmy garoppolo and of course george kittle are having incredible seasons right now with the two of them actually getting into a rhythm with george kittle coming off of the injury um believe it or not even with the injuries in their backfield they're still finding a way no matter who is actually running the football whether that's elijah mitchell or the rest of that cast um they're running the ball very efficiently and they're finding ways to create that play action which is where jimmy garoppolo is at his most potent and then the defense Nick Bosa doing what he's got to do. Fred Warner, we all know he's one of the better linebackers in football. He's just not better than Darius Leonard. Um, that is for the record. Let that be noted. Come make the argument with me. I'd love to have that open-ended discussion in which you will lose. Um, you know, I'm just – I'm not surprised that they're making this run because they have the personnel to do it. And Debo Samuel, a dual-threat weapon in, in multiple facets. I mean, he can run the ball. He can catch the ball. He's doing it. He can do it on special teams. We know that from college. Um, Brandon Ayuk is finally, finally, finally coming out uh, and being the weapon and being utilized in the Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan offense that we know can be very potent. And the fact that they are sitting at the sixth seed right now, to me, is of no surprise because I believe they've won four of their last five. And I think that they're doing everything that they need to do to win football games, including holding off a, a surging Bengals team and capitalizing and doing what they need to do and getting a win on the road, man. I think that was huge. And um, the 49ers are no joke. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're a scary team in the NFC, but they're definitely very competitive, and they're doing it on both sides of the football. So for them to be in this position right now, I'm not surprised. But big shout-out to Joe Burrow and those boys, even with that crappy offensive line, even with the injury to his hand and everything else that, that has been pretty much like plaguing the Bengals most of the year. Um, they found a way to claw back. They did what they needed to do. Jamar Chase is still showing and com making that big campaign uh, over Jalen Water to show that he is the offensive rookie of the year. Uh, Joe Mixon had a pretty off night, but that Bengals defense also showed that they can actually compete. Oh, my God, Chicago just recovered 
the onside kick. And, oh, my God, Chicago just scored the onside kick, and they ran it back for a touchdown. Oh, I've never seen somebody score an onside kick before. Holy shit, that was awesome. Sorry. Wow, that was insane. I've never seen that in my life, and I'm 27. Um, <laughs> That was absolutely ridiculous. Holy shit. But uh, I don't even remember the point that I was about to make, but – um. Yeah. No, Kyle, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right. Um, when it comes to San Fran, I think that they're definitely a playoff caliber team. To what extent count. that they? What do you mean it didn't count? What do you mean it didn't, it didn't count? count? Yeah, because I think it's wherever they wherever he catches it. I don't think they actually um allow the uh, onside kick. Be- to- but it hit it hit the offensive player's hand, and he caught it in stride and ran. I don't I, I don't know really how that rule I, works. Wow, I, 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 I didn't know that. Oh my I, god, that's stupid. I I think it's just the possession, but it's weird that's that crazy. you know that, that the recovery team can actually run it for a touchdown, but the um the kicking team can't. I think it's kind of similar to when um like let's say when a punt returner muffs the ball. That I don't believe the opposing uh, special teams unit when they pick it up, they could actually run it for a touchdown. Yes, they can. It happened. It happened. Uh, it happened in the Colts game uh, against uh, Jacksonville. He, he muffed it, and then we ran it back. Okay, that's what I'm because... saying. I don't understand how that didn't happen on the onside kick because genuinely, the Green Bay receiver it hit both hands and went straight up. And the defender, or should I say Chicago's, uh, you know, kicking team, caught it in stride, was not touched, and bolted past everybody. There's a certain rule, though, that, like, if the kicking team recovers something, that they can't advance the ball. That's so weird. I I, I, I want to say it has to do with muffing a punt. I, I think that's the only t- – I think that's the, the – maybe I'm wrong on this one. Um, But I think I – don't, I don't know if they can advance the ball. After somebody muffs a punt on the uh, on the punt return team, but you know, crazy. Yeah, so someone had to fact check me on that one. What's the score, by the way, in that that Bears game? 30, 30 to forty five. Justin Fields just got sacked. Oh, they gave up forty five. Forty five. Oh, a lot of high scoring games this week. <laughs> I love it. I didn't even think that this game against the Bears, this this Green Bay uh, Chicago game, was even going to be relatively high scoring. But I'm, I'm here for it. I, I seventy five points. Yeah, whoever bet the over uh, on the original line, I think they definitely uh, definitely made some good money on that tonight. But yeah. let me get back to the point at hand, <laughs> which was the the uh, San Francisco uh, point. Yeah, I do think that. San Francisco is a playoff caliber team to what extent that they can make some noise in the playoffs. I think it's going to be minimal at best. If they actually make it in, I got to give them credit. You know, they've won four out of their last five games. They got a great win against Cincinnati on the road in overtime. And when I look at this team offensively, they're still hit and miss in certain games that they play in. Their playmakers have been playing absolutely phenomenal the last couple of weeks. George Kittle, since coming back from his injury, he has absolutely lit it up with his production. You know, granted, I know they lost to the Seattle Seahawks last week, 
but the guy had over like 180 yards receiving and had two touchdowns in that game. And then he follows it up against Cincinnati with like 13 catches, 150 yards, and one touchdown. He had, I believe, Kevin, if I remember correctly, he had three catches in that overtime drive that led to the game-winning touchdown against the Bengals. And then Debo Samuel. This guy, to me, is one of the most underrated players in the NFL just because he's so dynamic at that wide receiver spot. And they utilize him for so many different purposes. They utilize him in jet sweeps. They utilize him out of the backfield. He's an extremely capable wide receiver when Jimmy's throwing him the ball. Just the explosiveness that both George Kittle and Debo Samuel bring to that offense is just lights out phenomenal. And it's too bad that their their running back field has really been dealing with injuries this entire season because had those guys stayed healthy, I think San Fran could probably have a better record than the Rams at this current moment in time. But it's just injuries really have kind of plagued this team this year. They were really affected by them last year, and I think that caused them the, the opportunity to miss the playoffs last year. And I think this year, I think they have a better shot of making the playoffs. It's just... I don't think it's going to be enough to really make a lot of noise once the playoffs do arrive. But if they keep playing like this and winning these close matchups, I think that they can make a wild card berth. But I think I think that's pretty much their ceiling at this current moment in time. And that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, I, like I said in my point, I don't think they're going to make noise. But the fact that they're doing as well as they are uh, because they're moving the ball as efficiently and making stops on defense... You know, they deserve to be in the playoff hunt. They deserve to be in a wild card position that they're in. Um, if they're going to make it through the end is obviously yet to be determined. There are a lot of teams in the NFC that are still within the hunt and uh, within the attainable goal, which is making the postseason. So they're going to have to, you know, carry the season out and see what we can do or see what they can do, should I say. But, um, damn, it's uh, crazy what's going on right now in the postseason. And uh, the Bears just lost. The Packers won. Justin Fields just threw an interception. Oh, well. Great Bay keeps on rolling, bro. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, pretty much got that division locked up. That division is subpar. Subpar. And the Vikings don't know whether or not to win one week or lose one, lose on the other. Like, they're just, they're so, they're hot and cold, bro. But Green Bay, they've just been consistent this entire year. And they joined the Bucks at 10-3, and three, right? Yeah. And obviously the Cardinals are, what, 10-2? and two? Yeah, and then they're putting it on Three the Three teams in the NFC are double-digit wins already. Nuts. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty much going to lock up their respective divisions, I would say, by next week. I would say so. Because, I mean, with, with the NFC South, the only team that's really kind of viable at this point outside of the Bucks are probably the Saints. At 6-7. In, in the NFC North, it's, it's the Vikings, but they're, I believe they're still on six the 6-7. And, and then, now... In the NFC, NFC West, East. Yeah, yeah, the NFC East, I mean, Dallas pretty much owns that one at this current moment in time. I know Washington was on a little bit of a run, but then they lost that game to Dallas today. Um, in the NFC West, yeah, the Cardinals still hold a pretty comfortable lead over the Rams, but at least the Rams are a formidable opponent within yeah. their own division. So I can't say that that one's entirely locked up yet, but it's it's close. But we'll, we'll kind of get to that point later in the episode. But with that said, we're going to transition 
into our next game of topic or next game of discussion, excuse me. And that is going to be the Cleveland Browns escaping with a very close win over the Baltimore Ravens. Cleveland stays alive in the AFC North at this current moment in time. They're currently sitting at a seven and six record. And this is a, a big win for them because it keeps them within range of the Baltimore Ravens. And I know they're kind of neck and neck with the Cincinnati Bengals as well. Big win for the Browns. But really the the main point I think we're going to hit is Baltimore kind of falling off the last couple of weeks. Lamar Jackson sprained his ankle in that Browns game where he had to leave the game and he did not come back in that game. And despite the fact that the Baltimore Ravens have been one of the better teams for most of the season, their last two losses have been gut-wrenching to say the least. They've lost both of those games by a combined three points. They lost by one point to the Steelers and they lost by two points to the Browns. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, what is your panic level at with Baltimore at this current moment of time after losing to the Browns? So are we like hitting it out of a 10, out of a five? Give me a little bit of a grading system so I can kind of one, one out of 10, one out of 10. One out of 10, I'd probably say about a five or a six. And if Lamar is hurt for an extended period of time, probably about a seven, just because they had a commanding lead in this division when they went on that little bit of a win streak um, when they were about, I believe, seven and three. Now they're sitting at eight and five. And you look at it and you say, okay, what are we going to do in this situation to keep our division behind us without Lamar Jackson? You have to plan accordingly without Lamar. Now, Tyler Huntley is very capable of doing what Lamar does because, as you can tell from today's game, he can hit the deep ball. He is mobile with his legs. And the RPO system that they run with Devontae Freeman is still very efficient. It's just a matter of can this defense hold up. And over the last two weeks, it has been a little bit of both, where, you know, offensive ineptitude, defensive liabilities. Now, I know that on the defensive side, they've had a lot of injuries, probably more than most teams, unfortunately. But it's definitely not the play calling. It's definitely not special teams, because obviously in the special team aspects, you have Justin Tucker, who is probably the greatest kicker in football right now. Uh, When it's all said and done, I've said this on multiple episodes, he will probably go down as the best kicker of all time. But man, it's, it's really hard to gauge, man, because you don't know what's going to happen. If Lamar plays, of course, when he is on the field, he gives them the best possible opportunity and chance to win because of what it is that he can do with his legs. But his inability to be consistent with his accuracy has been where Baltimore has failed. In one game in particular, I believe it was Cleveland the last time they played, he had four interceptions. Um, last week against Pittsburgh, I believe he also had two, two interceptions. So you really look at it and you say, can Lamar Jackson keep the ball on his side of the field? Can he stop turning it over? We're not going to know that. We don't know the extent of the ankle injury. We don't know if it was a medium, high, low ankle sprain. But the fact is he was ruled out pretty quickly after he was hurt. So I would assume it's probably, again, this is just my opinion, anywhere from mid to high, if you were able to rule him out that quickly – And, of course, they carted him off, which to me would imply he wasn't able to walk to the locker room uh, off his own willpower. So I'm I'm, I'm really nervous. The offensive line was not really able to protect, and I'm just kind of looking at this saying, if Lamar is not in, I would say that Baltimore's chances of winning the division continue to slim out, especially because of the narrowness of the AFC North, with the Bengals being at 7-6 with the Browns being at 7-6 and six and Pittsburgh being 6-6-1, six, six and one, Pittsburgh obviously on the outside looking in, um, 
this is probably the tightest division in the entire NFL, and it's with good reason. The Browns have a great team. Obviously, the Bengals are a resurgent team that I don't believe anybody saw um, having the season that they are. And then, you know, Pittsburgh is finding a way to claw through and remain relevant, but it's it's really tough to go out there and make a prediction, man. But in terms of a panic meter, definitely a five or a six. And if Lamar's hurt, probably six or an eight. Or excuse me, yeah. seven or an eight, my bad. Yeah, this is a tricky one for me because I think the Ra- the Ravens are in some pretty deep trouble here. And, and here's why. They've been so reliant on Lamar Jackson to carry not only the offense, but essentially the entire team because with the amount of injuries that they sustained before the season even started and then the season, the injuries that they've had throughout the season, at some point, I just think it's too much for one guy to carry single-handedly. And I think Lamar has done a decent job of getting this team to where they've been. I mean, they, they've still hold a divisional lead despite all the injury issues that they've had this year. And that really is a, a tip in the cap, a tip of the cap, excuse me, to Lamar's playmaking ability and just the dynamic athleticism that he brings to Baltimore. But with this injury, I think it really throws the rest of their season in doubt. Now it obviously depends on how severe his ankle injury was. If it was just a, a low to mild sprain, he might miss next week. But if it's anything more significant where he could miss some considerable amount of time, I think it essentially ends their their playoff chances. I, I just I don't see how this team can get to the playoffs without Lamar Jackson literally acting like a freaking superhero to get this team into the playoffs. Now, I do think that Tyler Hundley, he filled in admirably when Lamar got hurt. I don't know if he's able to do that on a consistent basis as the starter moving forward if Lamar is really dealing with a major ankle injury here. Now, as far as a panic meter goes, I'm at like a seven. Now, that may change a little bit based on the severity of Lamar's injury, but I just don't think that this team is capable of making a suitable run into the playoffs if Lamar is dealing with this injury because it's going to compromise his running ability. And I don't know if Lamar Jackson's passing ability is going to be enough to get Baltimore into the playoffs because, you know, we've seen ball. We've seen Lamar have great passing performances, but they've been few and far between you know, the first matchup against Cleveland. He had four interceptions. And in some of the games recently, he's turned the ball over on, a consistent basis. And I don't think that bodes well, even if he's in the game in these next couple of games, despite dealing with an ankle injury on top of that. So the defense is really going to have to step up if Lamar is out for the next couple of games. And Tyler Hundley is going to have to play phenomenal football because if they don't, I think Baltimore is going to be looking on the outside end because I think the Browns and the Bengals, even though the Bengals lost against the 49ers this weekend, I think both of those teams smell blood in the water. They know that Baltimore's hurt. And they know that they're definitely weakened. And I think they're going to take full advantage of that with the last couple of weeks we have in the season. So, panic meter is about a seven, but it could be a little bit less depending on how severe Lamar's injury is. If it's less severe, I think it may be around a five. But if it's more than that, if it's like really bad, I could have it as high as a nine. So, I'm going to take the middle and I'm going to say a seven. That's how I see it. 
Let's not get it twisted. We both said Tyler played a very good football game for the situation that was at hand. He was 27 of 38. He had 270 passing yards, and he had a touchdown. Granted, he was strip-sacked twice, but he is playing up against a very aggressive pass rush with the front four that is the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, Miles Garrett is second in the NFL in sacks for a reason, mm-hmm. and that strip sack that turned into a return for a touchdown put you know Baltimore in an awkward position, but they clawed back and they did what they needed to do in scoring 13 points in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So does Tyler give them the best chance to win? No, not necessarily. But I believe he's a viable backup, especially if he gets good first-team reps throughout the week. And, of course, Baltimore's remaining schedule is the Packers, L. Then they have the Bengals in Cincinnati, going to be a tough one. The Rams in L.A., or excuse me, the Rams at home, L. And then the Steelers to close the season out at home. Tough, tough, tough four fucking games potentially without Lamar Jackson for one or two of those games, if it is something that is, you know, manageable. If he misses anything more than one game, this is done. I think the season is cooked. I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, it's just, you know, Lamar was only going to be able to carry it so far. And at this current moment in time, I just don't really see how it's going to be enough to get to the finish line of just making the playoffs. I mean, th- this team was kind of screwed from the jump with the injuries, losing J.K. Dobbins and Marcus Peters right before the season started. And I think Lamar's done a very good job to keep this team afloat, but I just think it's too much pressure for one guy uh, to solely carry this team to the playoffs. And if he's compromised with that ankle injury in a serious way, no, no. Baltimore, I, I don't think it's going to make the playoffs. But... I still think that Baltimore is a relatively good team. When fully oh, yeah. healthy, when fully healthy, they're a really good team. But injuries, man, you don't derail a season. And it, in an instant. And it, and it looks like we could be kind of heading that way for Baltimore. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for them, but can't avoid injuries to happen. Just got to adjust no, to it. It's at best a part as of possible. the game. It's a part of sports, man. It, it really sucks that injuries are going to be the, the potentially the main root of evil for this. Very good and athletic Baltimore team. Obviously, you know, uh, John Harbaugh being one of the better coaches in the NFL, uh, you kind of have to say it's kind of an unfortunate turn of events because they've overcome a lot over the last couple of uh, weeks with everything that they've had going on. But I do truthfully and honestly believe that if uh, if things were different, it could be a better situation for them. Um, but that's not the case. And that four-game stretch they have to end the season is absolutely hellacious. That is not that is not that a is, good way to end the season, especially if you're saying bad. this bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It's definitely set against them, but who knows? Who knows? You gotta play the game. See what happens. But with that said, we're gonna transition into our last segment, and that is going to be the Monday night matchup that is gonna feature the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. So to give you guys a preview of this game before we dive into it, Arizona is the best team in the NFL at this current moment in time with the 10-2 and record. Uh, they are a lot more healthier than they've been in recent memory. Kyler Murray will be in this game alongside DeAndre Hopkins. And then to kick it over to the Rams, the Rams have been on a better stretch of late. They kind of hit a midseason 
slump, but they've had some decent performances since then, and they, they've bounced back. They are second in the NFC West at this current moment in time, and they definitely look to play spoiler in this upcoming matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, in what is probably the premier matchup of Week 14, who do you have winning in the Rams and Cardinals game? I'm going to be bold, man. I'm taking the Rams. I think Odell Beckham is finally settling in. I think that the offensive line for the Rams has stepped up in terms of finding ways to protect and make sure that Stafford stays upright. I think that the defense is going to try to find a way to limit Kyler Murray's, um, I guess, like ability to kind of roam outside of the pocket. Von Miller has now been on the team just shy of a month, if not about a month. Um, Jalen Ramsey is going to do what he needs to do to make sure that him and DeAndre Hopkins are just locked in every single time they're, uh, they're, 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 they're matched up against one another. And I think that Matt Stafford's going to have a good game, man. It, it is difficult for me to go out there and say that the Rams are going to get embarrassed. I know that I picked the Rams the last time that they played uh, because the Rams were very hot as well. But I do, I, I think the Rams turned it around last week, got a good uh, rebound win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I do think that Matthew Stafford is going to get it together. Sean McVay is going to get with that offensive group and make sure that they limit the turnovers to one, if not maybe two at most, hopefully none because I have quite a bit of offensive players in fantasy in regards to this game. So Sony Michelle, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, and Rams defense. I know I'd be like, I have the whole Rams team on my on my damn team right now. But by the way, I also have Matthew Stafford, but I chose to play Josh Allen, who got me damn near 40 points. So um, I ain't mad at it. But um, yeah, man, I'm just going to be bold, and I'm going to pick the Rams with the upset. And I'm going to be the opposite on this one. I'm going to go with the Cardinals, but I think it's going to be a much closer matchup than what we saw the first time around where I think the Cardinals just destroyed, beat the brakes off the Rams on the road earlier in the season. And I think I have to point to this factor. The Cardinals are healthy going into this game. It hasn't been like that the last month or so. Kyler Murray was dealing with that ankle injury that he sustained about a month ago. But in that first game back against Chicago, I thought he looked phenomenal in that game. I also thought that D-Hop, DeAndre Hopkins, had a great bounce-back game as well. I know he's been dealing with his own injury issues this year. And then not only that, they are possibly getting Chase Edmonds in this game. He is designated to come off the IR. Now, he's going to be a game-time decision coming into this game. But you combine him potentially with James Conner out of the backfield, alongside Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and Christian Kirk. That's going to be tough to stop. And the Rams, granted, they have bounced back from that midseason slump that they hit about a month ago. But I still think that this Rams defense is suspect when they're going up against top-tier talent. And the Cardinals have been the best team in the NFL throughout the entirety of the season so far. Kyler Murray's athleticism at that quarterback spot is one that I don't think the Rams are going to be able to slow down or hinder in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, potentially having Chase Edmonds and James Conner in the backfield, that's going to be a tall task for the Rams' defense, despite the fact that they have some great playmakers in Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Jalen Ramsey. Now, I do think that the Rams will put up a better show than what they did previously against the Cardinals in the first matchup of the season, but I'm still going to give the edge to the Cardinals in this one. I think just with Kyler's playmaking ability, the fact that they're, they're going to potentially have both Chase Edmonds and James Conner in this game, and I think they're going to win their one-on-one matchups 
with their wide receivers against the Rams secondary. I think the Cardinals get this one in a close one. I think when it's all said and done, I think the Cardinals win this one by the score of, I'm going to say 28 to 24. It's going to be a closer game. I do think that the Rams are going to be in this one throughout the entire game, but I think Arizona pulls late in the fourth quarter and they end up getting a close win. And then it would still remain that the Cardinals would be the best team in the NFL if they were able to get that win over the Rams, but that's how I see it playing out. Regardless, battle of the NFC West, it's going to be a good one. Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Cooper Cup, DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to be a really, really, really good game. I'm crossing my fingers that I'm right because I said that the Ram, I said that the Cowboys game was going to be good, and that one was kind of shitty. So, um, like I said, super big fingers crossed because I want to see a really good game tomorrow night. It's going to be fire, um, and obviously the winner is going to have some big stakes in the division as a whole. So I look forward to it big time. I mean, if the Rams that win that one. I don't know. I don't want to say that um, that they're like a shoe in to to get to the top spot in the NFC West, but it definitely no. makes it more interesting as we get towards the end of the season. But the Rams got to be careful here because if they look in their rearview mirror right now, San Fran is creeping behind them right now. So the Rams they got to be careful here because if they drop this one. If I remember correctly, I think the. 49ers would only be a half game back. Because I think San Fran has a seven and six record. Yeah. If the Rams were to lose that game, I think the Rams dropped to what, eight and six? Or eight yeah. and five? Eight and five. Eight and five. Okay. So it would be a full game then, not a half game. But yeah, Rams gotta be careful, man. They they gotta show up in this one. I know I picked the Cardinals to win this one, but there's a lot of pressure on the Rams right now. Because this, this Rams team, I, they built this team to go for a Super Bowl. And that's why they made the midseason acquisition to go get Von Miller. And then to have an 8-5 and five record more than two-thirds of the way through the season. Excuse me, it should be three-quarters of the way through the season. It's a little bit of a letdown, don't you think? Yeah, we, yeah. well, Rams are 8-4 right now. I keep messing that up, my bad. Um, if, they saying, lose if, they, if, if they lose the game, yeah. yeah. I, I think that would be... That would be a failure. Eight, eight and five with all the capital that they they brought onto the team, trading for Matt Stafford, trading for Von Miller, you know, bringing in Odell Beckham as well. I I feel like this team would be a lot could be a lot better, but they've just that midseason bump that they had it was it was pretty bad because Matt yeah, Stafford that, that, it, that was bad. I mean, they lost the Titans in a really bad fashion, and then. They lost it to the 49ers right before their bye week in a horrific. They didn't finish. lose. They, they got busted. Beat up, bro. Like it was bad. So, you know, I mean, the, the Rams had a great start to the season, but they've kind of fallen off. Granted, I mean, they beat the Jaguars last week. I mean, it's not the it's not the best opponent you're going to go up against. But I mean, I guess it's I guess it was good, a good tune up for this one. Yeah, it's so. a rebounding factor. You know what I'm saying? You have to look at it like, you know, we needed a game like this. We beat a team that we needed to, and we beat them in a, in bad fashion in terms of, you know, busting that ass. But this is what you need to do. And those are the games that kind of get you back in the groove of things and say we are the Rams. We have this firepower. Whether or not we played a bad team, it doesn't take away from the fact that we can abuse matchups because we have the talent on that side of the ball. Yeah, it's just there's so much – 
talent on this team, both sides of the football. Yeah. They were to lose this game, eight and five record. Mm. Mm. And it, it ain't looking that, good. Can't have that. Can't have that. But um, Kev, I think we, I think we hit everything. I mean, the only game you know that we really didn't talk about was the Sunday night game. But I mean, the Packers did what they needed to do. Yeah, we gave I mean, that update as it kind of happened, though. Uh, I do want to touch on one thing though before we wrap this up. Um, the Denver Broncos did what they needed to do, and they paid homage to. DT Demarius Thomas, who unfortunately passed away at the age of 33 the other day. Uh, so big kudos to Teddy Bridgewater and the defense for doing what it is that they needed to do. They represented their former teammate. And I know a lot of them never played with the, you know, DT, but you know, for somebody that was as pivotal and important to that organization, 38 to 10, uh, convincing fashion, whether or not they played the lions or not, they got the W and they did it right. I mean, all sides of the ball, I thought played phenomenal football in that game. Just that defense was swarming the entire game. I thought the offense, it was well-balanced from from both Teddy Bridgewater, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. I mean, those guys were just phenomenal from beginning to end in that game. And that's there's no better way to go out and honor a, a fallen former teammate and win in that fashion. I just, I'm still of the mindset that that Demarius Thomas passing, man, that really, that was really quite shocking to me. And just so unfortunate the way that it happened. It's just, I'm glad that the Broncos were able to honor his memory well today and get a huge win over the Detroit Lions. And I mean, Denver is still in the mix as far as the AFC wildcard goes. Granted, they're not at the top spot in the AFC West, but they've been playing some inspired football lately. And who knows, maybe this could get, some momentum generated in their favor. And I mean, if they go out and play, if they go out and play inspired football, like they did against the lions, they, they could be a tough out moving forward. Cause that defense, when, when they're rolling, that defense is top notch, but yeah, certain them boys are no joke. Yeah. And um, what what's the other guy's name? Simmons, uh, Justin Simmons, bro. Yeah, Animal. He had a phenomenal interception Intercept- later. Woo! Yeah, it was, he, was, it was like a diving one. Just snatched that out of the air. That was a great play. But, yeah, once again, just you got to say one time to the one time. Rest in peace to Demarius Thomas. And, uh, just, just, It's just so unfortunate. Taken way too early. 33 is just... Mm, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for me. 33 is just so young. But... I think outside of that, you guys, I think we're pretty much, I think we're pretty much burnt out as far as topics to go over. Um, I know we went very NFL heavy in this one, and um, and that's typically what we do on our Monday episodes. But I think I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. You know, Kevin and I, we love talking about football. Football is really kind of our premier sport to talk about, and I, I hope you guys appreciated and uh, enjoyed the conversation that we had today. So, Kevin, you got anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, man, just really, really, first and foremost, appreciate all the support, no matter the platform that it's been, you know, shown on. I know that we're low in a lot of the numbers. I said this last episode as well, but this is where we we, we bunker down and we find out who we're about and what we're about. And, you know, we're not going to stop just because some things take a little bit of a dip. It's like life. You don't give up just because you go down once. So, for those of you that have remained loyal and supportive, we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, um, 
2022, we got a lot of stuff in store for you guys, um, whether it be equipment upgrades, content upgrades, or whatever have you. Kyle and I are here to provide the best time that we can. If you're vibing with us because you enjoy it, please subscribe. If you've looked at our videos before or if you viewed it once or twice, hit that like button. Get us in that algorithm to really show others what we're about. But, I mean, from the bottom of our hearts, as the holidays come on, we know that uh, some time between the two of us probably not going to be available throughout all of the holidays. Mm -hmm. I got some vacation coming up. Um, My brother's 21st birthday is coming up this weekend, so I won't be available on this next Sunday. But um, we're gonna we're gonna make things work, and we're gonna we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna have some fun. Yeah, man, and I'm here for it all the way. But you know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in. Whether you listen to us on the audio platforms, you watch us on YouTube, I definitely appreciate the support. And uh, we'll see you guys later this week. All right, we'll see you guys later. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.